The NBA Finals are heating up. Looking for hot takes on all the postseason action? The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, is the podcast to listen to for the ultimate finals coverage. Host and former NBA sharpshooter J.J. Redick not only has a plugged-in perspective on the action from his time in the league, but he's also announcing the games in real time for ESPN. J.J. has the ultimate insider point of view, and he's taking you along for the ride as he breaks down the best defensive schemes, dunks, and drives from each game. And speaking of incredible drives, there's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. This is the Tribune Audio Network. From the heart of motorsports in North Carolina, the Fox 8 sports team presents NASCAR Dirty Air. Fast friends, dangerous enemies. Now, here's your host, Kevin Connolly, along with the Fox 8 Sports Team. Very few people have one Hall of Fame career, let alone two. Daryl Waltrip is one of those rare people. I, I, I say that all the time, dream and dream big, because it might come true. And in my case, it did. And it doesn't get any bigger than Daryl Waltrip. I went to race with my grandmother when I was six years old, and I remember telling my grandma when I was six years old, I said, Grandma, I'm going to drive a car like that someday. And boy, could he drive a race car. 84 wins. That's a lot of wins. But like most great athletes, skills fade with time. And even Waltrip had trouble on the business side of the sport. But in 1995, somebody flipped a switch. And it went from I had a $3 million sponsor to you had to have a $10 million sponsor. It went from I had one car to you had to have multi-cars. So after his stint as a driver and car owner ended, Waltrip became the voice of the sport for Fox for 19 years. Well, they said they were going to quit paying me. (laughs) So was it not your decision? No, 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 that's not true. Uh, It was time. Waltrip again finds himself at a crossroad. I've had a great career as a driver. I had a great career as an analyst. And uh, I don't know what Chapter 3 is going to be yet. But Waltrip is confident he'll find something rewarding in Chapter 3. Boogity, boogity, boogity! Let's go racing for a million bucks, boys! When his driving career ended, he stepped right into the broadcast booth, where he has spent the last 19 years calling races for Fox Network. We'll discuss his careers in NASCAR that span more than 50 years on this edition of Fox 8's Dirty Air. Well, thank you very much for the time. We're really yeah, looking forward to it. Um, boy, there's just so much territory to cover with <laughs> well, you. Yeah, maybe, uh, uh, I don't know, 50 years or so. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, wh- what a career. Yeah. Um, and you're a unique person. You've had two great careers. Yeah, I have. I have. I, I, I've been blessed. Um, you know, when I, when I was a kid growing up in Owensboro, Kentucky, um, I, I kind of had this dream that someday I might be a race car driver. You know, I, I went to race with my grandmother when I was six years old, and I remember telling my grandma when I was six years old, I said, Grandma, Grandma, I'm going to drive a car like that someday. Because G.C. Spencer was my hero. He drove a car called the Flying Saucer. It was a cool car, and he was my hero. So when I was six years old, I told my grandma I'm going to be a race car driver someday. And she said, shut up, meet your popcorn. <laughs> and so that, that was kind of how my, that's how my, uh, my, my vision was uh, that I might be able to drive one of these cars one day. And... Uh, I never. I always like what Bubba Watson says. I, I repeat this a lot, but it's true. When Bubba Watson won the uh, Masters, 
And he said, Bubba, did you ever dream that you could be where you are today? And he said, no, I never dreamed that big. And I think that's, I, I, I say that all the time, dream and dream big, because it might come true. And in my case, it did. I, I, was, I was a semi-good athlete in high school. I was a track star, ran track. Uh, I, I didn't take any talent to run track. Track, you just yeah. had to have a big heart and wanted to outrun everybody else. That was kind of what track was all about. And I just, I, I just knew I had that competitive edge, and I just wanted to be. Uh, I wanted to compete, and uh, I wanted to compete not at the lower level, but I wanted to compete at the upper level. And God was good to me. He blessed me with a great career, and uh, and I parlayed that into another great career. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right, let's, let's, let's talk the auto racing. Yeah. Um, behind the wheel of the car. Yeah. Is, was that the it for you when you had that steering wheel in your hand? You know, see, people, people think it, I, I believe this is true across the board. People think race car drivers are brave and they're not afraid of dying. They're not afraid of anything. I'm a scaredy cat. I'm going to tell you, I don't like heights. I fly all the time, but I don't, I don't, I don't want to get up on top of this building. Uh, I never wanted to go skiing because I was afraid I might fall and hurt myself. Uh, snow skiing, I didn't like to water ski. There were just a lot of things that I, I really didn't want to do because I might get hurt. But when I got in that race car and put that helmet on, I, I think the key to being a good athlete or in a, a good race car driver is the helmet. Because when you put that helmet on, uniform, gloves, you get all strapped in there, you feel invincible. You feel like that nothing can go wrong. And even though things have always around you gone wrong, someone else maybe has trouble or maybe even someone loses their life, you say, that could never happen to me. They didn't know what they were doing. Oh, I'm better than that. I'm smarter than that. So I think that that fear factor, uh, I, don't, I don't think race car drivers are, are the bravest, most fearless guys I ever met. But when you get in the car, you're inside, you're strapped in, you're in your little cocoon, and you, you just feel invincible. I always felt safer in my race car than I did anywhere else. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. It's just uh, maybe the mentality of a driver, but that, that's how I've always felt. From a career moments, I mean, there's so many. What stands out to you? Yeah, well, I always like to say it's the sum of all the parts. Uh, I use that phrase a lot. Uh, look. I could think back to my very first race here in Charlotte in 1972 and remember that that day in my Mercury, which is not here, it's in Indianapolis, um, but in that Mercury, uh, number 95, I think I finished sixth or seventh and won the Curtis Turner uh, Award for having the highest finishing rookie. And so, and, and so I've always loved Charlotte. So that's, that's, a, that's a memory that I'll, that I'll have for a long time, but my first cup win was in Nashville, Tennessee, my home track. I had dominated race. I won 55 features in Nashville at the fairgrounds. I'd won the championship two or three times. That was my, that was my, uh, that was my domain. That was my home. And so I always felt like everything I ever did, if you can't dominate, if you can't be a, a dominant per, uh, race car driver at every level, then you don't need to move to the next level. When I was in Owensboro growing up as a kid, I raced go-karts. I won every week. I had 500 go-kart trophies. So I was pretty good on a go-kart. Okay, so check. Now I'm gonna go to the hobby. I'm gonna go race a hobby car. That's what we called them back then, which later on turned into like a little mini modified, but I got to where I could win 
every week. One year they had 16 races in Owensboro. I won 14 of them. Check. Go-kart, from that to the hobby car, I'm going to Nashville. Nashville is a huge half-mile racetrack. They had two cup races there every year. So that was, Nashville at the time was one of the premier short tracks in the country. So I go to Nashville. Do I, do I, do I set the world on fire to start with? No, but eventually I did. And eventually I dominated at Nashville. I won the track championship there a number of times and won races there a number of times. So go-karts, hobby cars, Nashville. Now I'm ready for cup. And so I, I started my cup career in, in 72, and I won my first cup race in Nashville in 1975. It was my own car, my own team, everybody, we built the car across the street. Just over at Robert G's shop across the street, that's where the cars were, that's where I built them, that's where, they, that's where we maintain them. Ray Fox Jr. built the motors, Jake Elder was the crew chief. I had a bunch of really good crew members that worked on that car. And uh, what was so special about that first win is it's the first win. But my grandmother and my grandfather, who took me to races when I was six years old, was there. So the picture, one of my favorite pictures, it's on one of these cars around here, that little modified car. My favorite picture of all time is my brother Michael, who was probably about 12. He's standing in the front. Here's my grandmother, my grandfather, my mom, my dad, everybody. My, all my brothers and sisters, everybody, it was a family photo, and we're in Victory Lane at Nashville. That's one, that's, if you say, what's your all-time favorite win, Daytona, all the others aside, it's got to be that first one, because it was so special for me to be able to tell my grandmother, I told you, Granny, <laughs> I told you I was going to be a race car driver, and uh, so it, that, that's, that's a special race to me, but there are many others. Uh, when, my, when Jessica was born, I won Martinsville. One of my favorite stories, uh, 87, Tide Ride. We started a dream team with me and Waddell Wilson, a bunch of superstars uh, that Rick Hendrick put together with the Tide car. And we had a terrible year. And Stevie was pregnant with our, our child and with Jessica. And we had had miscarriages. And I was a basket. I was getting up in the morning. I had morning sickness. I was really struggling uh, trying to... You know, want Stevie to, to make it to, uh, to full term and to have our first child. And lo and behold, uh, the weekend of Martinsville, we had Jessica. I go to Martinsville. I'm so excited because I'm a dad for the first time. And uh, Sunday morning, I come into the track, and I walk over to the car, and in the seat was a rose and a note. And the note said, win this one for me, Daddy. About died. It, uh, it, it really got to me. Well, guess what? The, wasn't one of my best Martinsville races. Uh, Earnhardt was better than I was. Terry Labonte was better than I was. Several guys were better than I was. But late in the race, we had a caution. And uh, I was able to, because they were leading and I was, I was back a little bit, I pitted, got tires, I come back out. White flag in the air. Dale's leading, Terry's second, I'm third. We go in the first turn. Terry gets up on the outside of Dale, and Dale crowds him and nerfs him and gets him in the wall. Well, Terry bounces off the wall. Well, here I come. I got a head of steam. I'm coming down the back straightaway, and I figure, well, I'll give Terry a little tap, and that'll move him out of the way, and I'll finish second. That won't be such a bad day. I go down the back straightway, and I get under Terry, and just as I tap Terry, 
he was going to, he was mad. He, they, he was going to get Dale. He was going to tap Dale and knock Dale out of the way, and he was going to win the race. So I, I actually just helped Terry out a little bit. I nerfed him. He got a little loose. He got into Dale. They both spun up the track, and I went around and I won the race. I led all of from turn four to the start <laughs> finish line. That's all I, run, I, I led that day in that race, but I won that one for Jessica. Uh, so that was special. Mm-hmm. The Daytona 589, how can you forget that? Right. Uh, just, just on and on. And there's, mm-hmm. like I say, there's a lot of really fun races I've been a part of. Some I won, some I didn't. Southern 500 won it uh, because it rained. So I've, I've had a 84 wins. That's a lot of wins. That is a lot of wins. Three championships. That's pretty cool. Great, great moments. Obviously, the championships, the wins, but it's the people. Oh yeah. You have been associated with some of the biggest names in this sport. Yeah, I think a lot of times, I, I uh, other analysts come along or other people come. Larry McReynolds is he's, he's a great friend of mine, and Larry's a, he's really colorful because he's had I like to call them life experiences. But I, I started in my career, I drove for myself, and then I drove for Bill Gardner at Diegard, and, and that was a tumultuous five or six years, whatever it was, because Bill was a little bit different. Uh, then I drove for Junior Johnson, the last American hero. I mean, I, I learned more from Junior. I learned not only how to be a, a, a good driver, but I learned how to be a champion. And so Junior taught me so much. And then when I wrote, drove for Rick Hendrick, and Junior taught me, about racing and Rick taught me about how to run a race team, how to be successful as a car owner. So I took all that knowledge and I decided I'd have a team of my own again. I started on my own. My vision was I would drive the car for a while. And this was in 91 with Western Auto. And I thought I'll drive the car for a while because I was still very popular and I was still very successful. And I will add another car eventually and we'll have two cars. And maybe someday I'll be a multi-car team owner. That was my vision when I started uh, 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 Darrell Walter Motorsports. Uh, but along the way, things changed. The sport evolved. I, I don't know what happened, but in 1995, somebody flipped a switch, and it went from I had a $3 million sponsor to you had to have a $10 million sponsor. It went from I had one car to you had to have multi-cars, four, t- four cars. Jack Rouse had six at one time, I think. So all of a sudden, 95 was like a break point. And I didn't have the money to keep up. I, was, I didn't have deep pockets. I, I, I had to have outside resources to keep myself in business. And so my performance wasn't there. Western Auto said, look, you need to perform better. I said, look, I need more money. Well, we can't give you more money because you're not performing so well. So it, it kind of all went downhill in 95. And, uh, and I never got to the point where I wanted to be. I had a great engine po- program. Claude Queen was doing a great job with the motors. And I, looking back, if I'm, if I'm rambling, I'm sorry, but it, looking back, I wish I'd have kept the motor program intact because I, was, I had a pretty successful motor program, engine program, uh, doing my own stuff. We were doing engines for trucks and some, some late model, uh, some uh, Bush cars at the time. So I had a good engine program, but I didn't have any money. I'd bro- I, I was broke, and so uh, fortunately I was able to sell the team in, in the 98, which opened the door for me to go drive for Dale mm-hmm. Sr. for a little while in the one car, the Pennzoil car, and that was some redemption uh, because people saw that even though I was 53 or 4, or 52 I think, uh, 
I could still be very successful mm -hmm. if I was in a competitive car and that car was pretty competitive. Mm -hmm. So, um, but things evolve and, and, and things change and it's just like where I am right now. Um, I've had a great career as a driver, I had a great career as an analyst and uh, I don't know what chapter three is gonna be yet. That's scary, but exciting. Yeah, it, well, you asked about the people and uh, you know, I'd, I'd be just as, well, I'd probably be happy, I'm pretty sure I'd be happy just showing up at the track with my motorhome, parking where I always do and hanging out with the guys mm -hmm. and not have to do anything, not have to go to production meetings, not have to go and do practice qualifying and to do the race, but just be, a race fan, because that's really what I am. I mean, I've always been a race fan. I think all of us drivers, we we end up driving, but we're also fans of the the sport. So, but I love that I've had some incredible friends. You can't make old friends, you know. I've had some friends that have been uh, been with me all through my career. People that have worked for me here in my shop, you know, Van and Carolyn, my sisters worked for me for over 40 years. Mm -hmm. Jeff. Uh, Smitty, who drove my coach, now Jimbo, who drives the coach, Jerry Vanderfluck, who was my pilot for a number of years. Just people that have stood with me through thick and thin. Mm -hmm. People that be honest with me, tell me, you know, DW, you know, you're not getting the job done, buddy. Uh, that's hard to hear, but sometimes you need to hear it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I've, I've been down a, I've been, it's been a long and winding road, but it ends up in pretty much the same spot where I am right now. Mm -hmm. The decision to stop broadcasting and retire. Well, they said they were going to quit paying me. <laughs> well, so was it not your decision? No, 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 that's not true. Uh, it was time. I, 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 I believe we all time out. You know, I think I've run my course. Uh, just like in the, just the, there are a crop of new young drivers that are looking for an opportunity. And they can't really get that opportunity until some of the older established drivers step aside. And that's how I feel like in my career. There are a lot of new, young, energetic analysts that would like to do what I do. And so I've, I've, had, I've had a ton of, I've had an incredible amount of fun. I've had an incredible amount of success. So now I'll step aside and let somebody else enjoy what, I, I want to enjoy the fruits of my labor and I want somebody else to take my place so they can, uh, can, can do what I've always mm -hmm. done and they'll enjoy the fruits of their labor. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a young man's sport. Okay. It's, it's changed. You know, we had the established stars and we've all been around a long time, but it's time to establish stars to step back and make room for the new ones. Gotcha. The catchphrase, yeah. boogity, boogity, boogity. Yeah. Let's go racing, boys. Yeah. Was that by design or did it happen by accident? No, it, you know, I tell people <clears throat> all the time, uh, uh, my boss, David Hill at the time, president of Fox Sports, uh, we, we were just into, you know, Fox had come in to, uh, to cover NASCAR and we were trying to do it better and do it differently and, and uh, more be informative and be entertaining and, and, and talk about the race, but have some fun doing it and enjoy it, make it enjoyable. And one of the things that really aggravated me as a driver, I know when I come around off turn four and I got, I, I got, I'm gonna hold that steering, I got that shifter and I'm waiting for that green flag to come out. And when that green flag comes out, it's like something comes over you. I mean, it's like 
the race is on. <laughs> and you go off in the first turn. It's like going off in the unknown. You ain't got a clue what's going to happen when you get out in the first turn. You know, the guys worked on the car. Hope the car handles good. Hope the car runs good. You know, Wilma, Wilma car. I, I had a lot of cars named, named Wilma. Will my car make it? Will my car be good? <laughs> Wilma, Wilma, Wilma. But anyway, so that's an exciting part of the race. The finish is always exhilarating, but the start, and here's what I'd hear. And the green flag is in the air. I said, are you kidding me? That's the best we can do? So I'm telling my boss, David Hill, we're having dinner on Saturday night. I said, I don't know what to do. I said, it just that gets on my nerves. He said, well, you're a smart guy. Think of something. You figure out something better. I said, okay. So the next morning, I love country music. I always listen to country music. So I'm uh, listening to the radio, and all of a sudden, Ray Stevens comes on. Ray's one of my best friends. And he does this song called The Streak. Here he comes. <laughs> boogity, right. boogity. There he goes. Boogity, boogity. That's it. That's it. That's it. So I go up in the TV booth, and I got Larry and Mike up there, and they think I'm crazy anyway. And I said, boys, when we get ready to start the race today, I got it. They said, you got it? Let me do it. Okay, okay, you got it. Coming off turn four, I said, boogity, boogity, boogity. Let's go racing, boys. And there they went. And Larry and Mike go, what was that all about? Where did that come from? I said, I don't know. Sounded pretty good. I liked it. Well, I figured I'd do it once or twice, you know, and everybody'd say, well, that's ridiculous and you can't do that. I didn't know it was going to stick. It's, I mean, it's a blessing and a curse. When you go, I spoke at the presidential prayer breakfast with 4,000 people, dignitaries from all over the world, and when they introduced me and I stood up to talk, somebody in the crowd said, boogity, boogity, boogity. <laughs> <laughs> so I knew it was my kind of people. But anyway, I, I, I've enjoyed doing it. And here's, here's the thing. People say, ah, it's no redneck, sound like, you know, you dummy. I said, here's what you don't understand. A little kid walks in the shop. He looks around, and the first thing he ever could say was boogie, boogie, boogie. Or the first thing some mom and dad will come in and say, that's how I... I holler out the door, boogity, 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 it's race time. That's how we get everybody in front of the TV. So uh, a lot of people, I'd say it's, I'm going to say it's 70, 30. I'm going to say that. All right. 70% like it, 30% don't. But it, it's, it's different. And it's, it's how we start the race. I ask my boss every year, I say, you want me to continue to do that? Are you kidding me? That's how we come on the air. That's who we are. So that's how I do it for at least, Five more weeks. There Five you, more weeks. There you go. And then somebody else can think of something new. The um, as a, as the the role of analyst, sometimes you have to be critical. Yeah. How yeah. hard was that? I, I adjusting think it, to. I think in the beginning it was easier for me to be critical uh, because I knew I needed to be. I I, I never want to be. Um, I don't ever want to be one way or another. I don't want to be all in or all, or I don't want to be for someone or against someone. I try to, I try to be neutral, but you know, I don't care who you are, you always are prejudiced or biased about something. And that's kind of how it goes with drivers. There's some drivers that you're like better than you like others. You can't, it's just, a, it's a fact of life. So I've always tried to, to they put pictures on the screen and it's not like radio, you know, and no disrespect to radio, but they can make up stuff. And the guy at home doesn't know if it's true or not because he's listening to the radio. We can't make up anything. So when a car comes off a corner and somebody hits somebody in the rear and spins them around, that guy just wrecked that guy. That's a fact. 
But here's what happens, and this is what I had to learn. You initially see something and you react, you respond. Well, that was, I would, uh, that was the dirtiest thing I ever saw. Cause and effect. So now we back, 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 back. Now they're coming down the back straightaway. And all of a sudden we see the guy that got spun out, chop the guy, cut the guy off, ticks this guy off. So he catches him and when he does, he spins him out. So it wasn't like it was just blatant and he did it on purpose. Something happened over here that caused what happened over here. And that's what, that's the hardest thing to learn is you can't react immediately. Sometimes you got to say that look like, I think this is what happened. Then we go back, we all, look, you've been in a TV booth. We got five monitors and we got 50 cameras and we don't miss much. And so when we see something, you have to learn to call it like you see it at, the, at that moment, but then leave yourself a way out because we never know for sure when we back, 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 back up, if something didn't happen over here, they call us what happened over here. Mm -hmm. So the hardest thing I had to do is I want, I, I want the drivers to trust me. I want them to believe and trust that when I say or when I criticize or when I point something out, it's a fact. You can't deny it. I don't want to exaggerate or make something up. It's a fact. So I want them to trust me. But the hardest thing is we live in the, we all live over in the motor coach lot. I've been in there ever since I've been a driver. I was, had one of the first motor coaches. I hang out with the drivers every week. They see me, I see them. And I've had them knock on my door and say, hey, I don't appreciate what you said about me today. Or, hey, I didn't think that was, you called that right. Or whatever the situation. I've had that happen a number of times. You don't like that, but I've had it happen. So you want them to trust you. You want them, when you say something and you want it to be true and you want it to be able to back it up, but you want to be their friend. And that's where the rub comes in. You want to be everybody's friend. You want everybody to like you. You want everybody to think you're the greatest guy that's ever done TV. You're the greatest analyst that's ever lived. But that ain't going to happen. Because the, you, you walk a fine line between trust, friendship, and telling it like it is. And in the beginning, I think I might have been a little bit more tell it like it is. And then I had some of those confrontations where I backed off a little bit. And okay, I, I don't want these guys mad at me because I got to live with them. So you sometimes sugarcoat things a little bit or make it one of them racing deals. Mm. Ah, it's just one of them racing deals. Kind of pass it off that way. So that's the hardest thing an analyst has to, that's the world that you have to live in. For us, we do 30, well, we do uh, uh, 16 races. We're together 16 weekends plus two special events. I see those guys in the, in the coach lot. I pass them, they pass me. So you don't want, you don't want, to, you don't want a, a driver to not, uh, so I'm not going to do an interview with him because I don't like him, uh, uh, talking about an analyst. Right. Or I don't like the way they cover the sport. I'm not talking to those people. You don't want that. So it's, it's a, you know, you've done it. It's hard to be critical and fair. Does that make, does that, no, you know what I'm saying? Sense. It's yeah. the hardest, it's the hardest thing I've ever had to do because you don't want people mad at you. You want everybody to like you, but you can't do your job and have everybody like you and nobody be mad at you. Mm -hmm. That's a fact of life. Right. NASCAR, I, I, look, I don't agree. Uh, we have a lot, we have meetings with them every week. Sometimes I agree, sometimes I don't. 
Nobody wants to be told they're wrong. And, 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 I'm a, and I'm very, I can be very opinionated. I got my ideas. Here's the way I think it should be. Here's how I think you ought to do this. Here's, here's what I would do. But guess what? They have never called me and asked me what I would do. Now, I've had drivers come to my coach and say, I'm struggling. What should I do? I said, well, here's, let's, let's look at this. What were you hired to do? Well, I was hired to drive a car 28, 88, whatever the number is. Okay, so you're a driver, right? I'm a driver. So why do you keep telling everybody how to run the sport? Why don't you worry about being a good driver, doing your job, and let somebody else worry about how they run the sport? And I'm guilty of that because they never do it like I want to do it. You know, they run 550 horsepower here and 750 horsepower over here. It seemed to me like you got it backwards. Well, why do you, the numbers don't say that? Well, okay, good. Pretty soon you'll be joining me. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, you, you brought up NASCAR. You brought up uh, the, you know, where the sport is. Yeah. Um, I mean, you've been through the, the growth period. Yeah. You've been through the heyday um, yeah. in terms of popularity. Where is the sport right now, and where is the future, and how concerned are you about the future of the sport? Yeah, and again, it's one of those fine lines you walk between what I think and what maybe what reality is. Um, uh, we've we've lost an incredible well, just just in my world. I, let me talk about my world. We used to when we were in our heyday, and you know ratings. We we guaranteed a five a five rating. That was kind of like easy to do. We knew if we turned it on Sunday. We're going to have that many people watch the race. We're going to get a five. Anything above that, that's, that's icing on the cake. All of a sudden, at 2008 to 10 in that range, uh, ratings went from a five to a three, and now we get one fives and twos. And, and so you could say, why? Well, a lot of those races back when we were getting fives were on network TV, free TV. Then everybody said, okay, we'll use NASCAR to create other channels like like FS1 or FX or in in uh, in NBC's case you know they have NBC uh, Sports Network and so everybody diversified out into a cable more cable race on cable less people had cable so less people watch so our rating went down that's our side of the story then i think we're in a transition from the old drivers to the new drivers look at I always like, I get kind of annoyed about, we always talk about uh, symptoms, but what's the problem? Because we talk about a lot of symptoms. We could say a lot of drivers retired. Dale Jr., Jeff Gordon, Tony Stewart, Matt Kenseth, Carl Edwards, you know, on and on and on. So that's a lot of big name drivers that are all retired. And I have people tell me every day, I just can't, I don't, I don't have a driver anymore. What did you, when you started in a sport, did you have a driver? No. So you had to pick one, right? <laughs> so now you got to pick another one. Right. And so I, I think, I say this a lot and I don't know how to, I don't know how to, but we're just at a crossroad. The one thing that people tell me is too many changes and, and not just with the drivers, but too many rules. Our, our sports are not, our, our, our fans are knowledgeable. And you know why? Because I don't know if there's any other sport that gets covered like ours does. There's, there's, a, there's two TV, there's 
FS1 and NBC, they have an hour show every day about NASCAR. There's Sirius XM90. They have radio, that's, that's all day long NASCAR channel. And then there's other special shows like yours, special events. So our fans know more about the sport, how the sports run, who, who's in the sport, the penalties, everything that happens in our sport gets covered. And I don't know if any other sport gets that kind of coverage or not. And so our fans are very knowledgeable. And so when they speak, you have to listen. You have to give them, they have a voice. They got Twitter, they got Facebook, they got whatever else, social media that they can voice their opinions on. So I think we, I think we're at a, I think what we've done is we've expanded so big and things kind of got out of control. Uh, and now we're trying to pull it all back in. We've abandoned, I think we abandoned our core. There was a time when, you know, wanted to change the sport from country music, and these are it's basic, but from country music to rock and roll music. Uh, you know, there was a time when we don't want to talk about our past, moonshine and how the sport got started. Uh, and so I think we went, I think we went through a, a, a time of abandoning who we were to get to something that we will never be able to get to. Uh, I know people talk about millennials all the time and that 18 to 35, but if you look up the definition of a millennial, they get short attention span, they only worry about themselves, some of them don't even have a driver's license, on and on and on, and that's the crowd we're trying to appeal to. I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. So, this year, NASCAR I think has woke up, woke, woken up, and they said, you know, we got to go back and we got to start catering to the people that made us who we are. We cannot make our sport like other. You got to listen. We're not like any other sport. We're not self-sustaining. NFL, baseball, basketball—they can make it. They don't have to have sponsors. You see every car in here. What's it got on it? A sponsor, and, and, you, and only uniforms, because we have to have outside resources to be able to do what we've done. And so, we're at, we're at, we're in a tough spot, in my opinion. The owners are in a tough spot because they're spending a lot of money. NASCAR's in a tough spot because they're constantly trying to figure out how to make the racing better. Uh, the tracks are in a tough spot because the fans aren't showing up like they used to. So. Everybody has got their own issues and problems, and the sport suffers because of it. I mean, what we, I always felt like what I did on Sunday would allow me to do what I did on Monday. If I was successful on Sunday, then I would have an opportunity to do a lot of more things on Monday, whether it was sponsorships or endorsements or whatever it might be, if I was successful on Sunday. And I think we might have abandoned that at one time or another, and now we're trying to get back there. Mm -hmm. I know that's, look, I could ramble about this all day long, and a lot of that is rambling, but I'm trying to be politically correct mm -hmm. without being too harsh. Right. 50 years plus going to the track yep. every week. Yep. Have you thought about not what it's going to be like not going to the track? Well, I have, uh, but I, I've, look, I'm a day-to-day -day guy. I mean, when I was 
everything I've ever done, race team or whatever. So what's your five-year plan? I ain't got one. <laughs> I never have had a five-year plan. I, I, I do day to day. I got up this morning. I'm here with you. I don't know what this day will bring. When it's over with, I'm going to say, wow, this day was a bad day or this day was a great day. Starting off great, by the way. Uh, so I, I don't know. Um, I've traveled my whole life. And, and my wife, Stevie, 50 years. We'll be married 50 years in August. And she says, well, we're going to go to Europe. We're going to go to Ireland. We're going to go. Honey, I don't want to travel. I'd, I'd just like to sit on the couch, watch some races, and play some golf. How's that sound? Sounds pretty good. It sounds good to me, but not so good to her. <laughs> I have two beautiful daughters. They're both married. We have our first grandchild, Louisa. She's uh, 15 months old. Um, things are, you know, I'm in the car business back in Franklin. Uh, I still got a lot of irons in the fire. And I don't know what chapter three might be. I think there is a chapter three. I just don't know what it is yet. It's going to be good, though. If you look at chapter one and chapter two, well, it's going to be good. I like to finish strong. And uh, I'm not finished yet, so I hope you're right. I think you're right. That's awesome. You think you're right? I think so. <laughs> Thank you. It was a pleasure. Again, thanks so much to the one and only Daryl Waltrip for the time. Special thanks to business manager Van Colley, Megan Engelhart for Fox for their help in arranging our little chat with DW. Thanks to producers Kevin Wren and Chris Weaver. As always, please subscribe to Dirty Air. And if you give us a rating, especially if you liked it, that'll help in the long run. I'm Kevin Conley. Thanks for listening to Dirty Air, and we'll see you at the races. Thanks for listening to NASCAR Dirty Air. Follow us on myfox8.com. This has been a production of the Tribune Audio Network.